That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Hey guys, welcome back to the Celtics Pod Podcast, part of the Celtics Blog Podcast feed. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by my usual co-host, Mr. Tim Shields. And today we've got a very special guest. We're joined by John Sapachetti, formerly a freelance beat writer for ESPN, who was around during the Jordan Balls area, and more importantly, the Larry Bird Celtics area. Era, area, era. John has agreed to jump on here following the release of the Michael Jordan documentary that I'm sure we've all seen. And he's going to be sharing some of his more interesting memories about the time where Celtics were playing the Bulls or whenever he was around any of those great players from that era. John, man, it's good to connect with you again. It's been a while. How are you doing today? We're doing great, Adam and Tim. Hope everyone is staying safe during these troubling times. Thank you. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. How about you? You staying safe? Absolutely. I'm quarantined in my home pretty much. Just waiting for the NBA to return so my man LeBron James can win his fourth championship. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I (laughs) forgot you're a huge LeBron guy, right? Absolutely. That's going to be interesting, especially seems you you were around during the Jordan time, so you got to see Jordan up close. And now, obviously, I'm assuming you've seen LeBron play uh, probably, what, two, three hundred times? Absolutely. And you're firmly yeah, in no, the LeBron. He's, he's the best. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm, I'm 57, and I'm a LeBron guy. Normally, if you're 57, you're going to say that Bird or Magic or Jordan's the greatest player you ever saw. And, and those three guys are just incredible. But I just think LeBron's better than them. But, uh, you know, I guess he, he became like the second biggest villain during the showing of the documentary. The biggest, of course, was Jerry Krause, the former general manager of the Chicago Bulls who was just ridiculed by Jordan and Pippen constantly, Phil Jackson uh, constantly ridiculing Jerry Krause, who was not the most likable guy, but, you know, he was the general manager of that great dynasty. Um, And he passed away three years ago, so he has no chance to defend himself. But it seemed like the second biggest villain that night was LeBron James because all the Jordan fans kept, you know, getting on Twitter saying, see, LeBron's not as good as Michael. Michael's clearly the greatest. And I'm like, well, he hasn't played in almost 20 years. He hasn't played for the Bulls for 22 years. I don't know what changed since other than a documentary on there reminding us how great he was. But uh, it's a fun debate, LeBron and and Michael. Uh, And I just always try to put forth that it is a debate. A lot of Jordan fans go, oh, no, it's not even close, which I think is ludicrous because I think LeBron and Michael are the two greatest all-around players. When you exclude centers, it's tough to really compare LeBron and Michael to say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, or Will Chamberlain. It's tough to do that. But as far as the Renaissance men, the guys that do everything on the basketball court, Michael and LeBron are the two greatest. But in my order, it's LeBron, Michael. And that's fair, too, especially since you've been around that environment so long and being able to experience multiple generational talents in their time Mm -hmm. must be something really, really special. How would you describe – Michael Jordan in that aura like what was that atmosphere like what was it like to be a journalist in that time era and what did that impact feel like on culture in the moment well I mean we're the same age Michael Jordan just turned 57 I'll be 57 soon so I already have accepted the fact that I'm 57 so we're born the same year and um, you know I got to see him of course at North Carolina and you knew he was going to be a great player didn't know he was going to be that great um, his second year in the league he broke his foot very early in the season. The Bulls wanted him to sit out the rest of the season. Jordan insisted on coming back. 
the Bulls went 30-52 and 52 in the 85-86 season, and they still qualified for the playoffs. And the reward for that was facing the Boston Celtics, the 85-86 Celtics team, which goes up against any as the greatest in the history of the NBA. And in game one, he put up 49 against the Celtics in a loss. And then he came back on Sunday, three days later, and put up 63 in overtime. And after those two games, you said, this guy's a little bit different than everyone else. I mean, the athleticism, the drive, the skill set. Um, you know, the Celtics had a, a great defensive team. It was a huge team. You know, Bill Walton was the backup center. You had Parrish, McHale, Bird up front, DJ and Danny Ainge were big guards, and none of them could even come close to containing him. Uh, after those two games, you said, this guy's kind of special. And then all the cultural uh, forthcomings with Michael Jordan, obviously Air Jordan, uh, the Nike sneakers, the commercials, the bald head, the earring, the impeccable um, clothing, you know, the way he just it, he handled himself uh, as, a, as, a, as a gentleman off the court. At times on the court, you know, his, his incredible drive to win um, didn't make him the most likable guy, I would assume, among teammates. But if you won two, three, four championships with him, you kind of put up with the fact that he was essentially uh, a sociopath as a, as a winner, a lot like Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, and Larry Bird. Those are guys that just are so driven to win that sometimes they're not as likable as you would think. But uh, Jordan certainly at the top of the list of, of being, you know, all-time great winner and, and I think the second greatest player in history. But, yeah, it was a, a special time. Um, although I don't wax nostalgic as much as some other people my age. I mean, I thought the 80s were really good. I think basketball now is at its highest level, especially the level of players. I mean, just go back to the 90s and 80s and, and look at some of the all-star teams, and you'd say, really, that guy qualified for the all-star game and this guy qualified for the all-star game? I think there's more great players playing now than at any point in the NBA. Uh, the question whether you think the game is better, but I think the players are better. Um, and, but as far as Michael Jordan, going back to him, he could have played in any era. He would have been dominant now. He would have been dominant in the early 2000s. Um, he was that good. I mean, look, he took three years off, went to Washington, and was clearly not invested as a player, was more interested in trying to own a team, and he still put up over 20 points a game while he was approaching age 40. So, I mean, I, he certainly could have played in every, any era and been dominant. But I also believe that players like Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson and Jerry West and Elgin Baylor could have played in any era as well and been successful. Do you think that on a grand scheme of things, talking about Jordan's impact culturally and how basically the world just stopped to try and watch him and kids grew up trying mm -hmm. to become him, do you think that had to yep. have an impact on how the NBA is today? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I always look at it as, uh, you know, Dr. J came from the – ABA 1976. So the, the sport got somewhat more popular, but the 1980 finals between the Lakers and the 76ers, and you look at the great players that were on the court in that series from Magic to Kareem to Jamal Wilkes to Norm Nixon, you know, obviously to Dr. J, and they still had game six on tape delay. Game six was held at the Spectrum. That's the famous game where Magic played center uh, because Kareem was injured in game six or before game six. And that game was on tape delay. You had to wait up till 1130 at night to watch it. You tried not to get the score. You, know, you want to watch the game and see who won. The Lakers won um, that championship. So the, the sport was still growing at that point. So Larry Bird and Magic Johnson elevated the sport. But Michael Jordan's the player, the person that made it global. You know, it, it's a worldwide sport now, uh, more so because of Michael Jordan than any other athlete. Um, you know, because he, he was this this larger-than-life figure. I mean, he just did things no one else ever did. 
on the court, uh, the way he carried himself, the smile, the charisma, all of that, uh, you know, the sport being so popular now owes a lot to Michael Jordan. I, I think um, in the same realm that you pick a baseball player who's the Michael Jordan of baseball, probably Babe Ruth. I mean, I'm going back, you know, a century ago, but Babe Ruth saved that sport. Um, and of course it, it's flourished ever since, but yeah, Michael Jordan has had more impact than any other player in the history of the sport without question to make it what it is today. And you were super lucky in the fact that you were around these guys in the locker room, uh, especially guys mm-hmm. like Larry Bird and Robert Parrish. Yep. When you've touched on the fact that Jordan could play in the league in any era, do you buy into the belief that Larry Bird would have been an even bigger superstar now than what he was during his playing days? He would have been sensational now. I mean, because back when Larry Bird played, you didn't see a lot of three-point attempts, right? I mean, the game now is is built around three-point shooting. Just imagine Larry Bird taking 10 three-pointers a game. It it just would blow your mind. He'd he'd hit four of them without question. That'd be on an average night. There'd be some nights he'd go seven for 10 if he had to take three uh, 10 three pointers. Larry Bird could have certainly played in this era, been just as big. And again, the athletes now become bigger because there's so many more platforms to talk about it. I mean, back in the 80s, you know, sports talk radio wasn't all that big. It really wasn't. ESPN didn't have debate shows. There was no such thing as Fox Sports One. We have nine hours or 10 hours every day of, of debates uh, with, you know, like Skip Bayless or Colin Coward. Um, so there's a lot of coverage now in sports. You can certainly have Twitter, any social media. So the stars are bigger now than they've ever been. So just imagine Larry Bird playing now, um, you know, in the discussion, of, is this guy the best player in basketball? Because there was about a four-year stretch where I think Larry Bird was unquestionably the best player in basketball. You know, he kind of took over in the early 80s till about 87, and then Magic had his run as the best player, and then Michael took over from Magic. Yeah, Larry Bird playing now. Um, you know, would have been as great a player and maybe even more of a scorer because of the three-point shooting. Uh, Larry was always kind of a private guy, though. You know, I, I don't know how he would have adapted to social media. I don't even know. I'm sure he would have a Twitter account because every player in the NBA does. But uh, Bird certainly would have been a huge start today, um, you know, because he, he had a certain personality, too, which was very endearing. And, and, and to me, is one of the you know, clearly one of the 10 greatest players ever. I, I rank my top 10 players and I have Larry at number seven. Uh, a lot of people get turned off by that. I say, well, there's only been six guys, I think better than Larry Bird in the history of the sport. That's, that's a compliment, you know, and uh, Bird playing today would have, would, would have lit up the scoreboard without question. And what about your interactions with Larry Bird? Did you ever, was you ever fortunate enough to have an interaction with Bird and George sure. at the same time? Yep. Yeah, uh, not together, but, you know, covering um, those series. Again, I I probably saw 50 Celtics home games a year when you include the regular season and postseason. And Bird was great to deal with because about 20, 25 minutes after the game, Larry Bird would come out to the locker room. Now, they didn't have media rooms back then where the star athlete would come up to a, you know, a table with a microphone and, you know, have everybody seated. Uh, seated uh, back then you would just wait in the locker room so you know you get other players whether it be Parrish, McHale, Dennis Johnson was always someone that I engaged with uh, I, I hit it off with him he's a really good guy and Casey Jones and Bill Fitch were really good to deal with as well but then we'd all wait around for Larry and they had this big table in the middle of the locker room and the Celtics locker room was not that big uh, but they had a table in the middle of the locker room and Larry would come out I'd say a half hour after the game he'd go in he'd cool down um, take a shower 
you know, get dressed up. Larry was never, you know, slave to fashion. It'd be, you know, chinos in a, in a golf shirt most of the time. But then he'd come out, sit on the table, and we'd gather around him, and he would stay there for 15 minutes and, and answer every question. Uh, and I was, you know, always ready, willing, and able to ask questions. A lot of people just stand around and, and just get the quotes. I, I was always one that wanted to ask questions. Sometimes people would look at me and say, that's a stupid question. Well, you know, can't fall off the bed if you sleep on the floor. So, you know, throw a question at the guy. And uh, so he was very easy to deal with. Jordan, the visitor's locker room at the old garden was tiny. I mean, you couldn't, you know, you had to go outside to change your mind. So, you know, we'd get around Jordan and there'd just be layers of, of reporters. But you don't, um, you know, Jordan Bird, Bird was, was, very analytical about the game, as was Jordan Magic, but um, he, he, they learned to be guarded at some point. You know, they didn't want to turn people off, um, not necessarily let their personality out as much, because uh, they were all making money off the court as well. You know, Larry and uh, Magic were making good money with Converse, and of course, Jordan with Nike. Um, so, you know, they, they somewhat were guarded, but no, they, they granted access. There was more access then than now. You know, um, the really great players you couldn't grab before the game. Although sometimes you could get lucky and, and get a player before the game when you wanted to ask some feature stuff. And I did um, for ESPN. I was a freelance reporter. So I, I, you know, me and the camera crew were there. So we'd be able to, you know, do a five, six minute interview. Uh, not very often before games with players of that ilk, but um, there was good access for those guys back in the day. And talking about all these players, especially with Jordan and Bird occasionally going toe to toe. At the time, did it feel like Michael Jordan had a main rival, or was it more like Michael Jordan versus the world? It was Michael Jordan versus the world until Scottie Pe- Pippen came, and then it took a few years for Pippen to elevate himself into a star or a superstar player. So now the Bulls were ready to beat the Pistons, ready to beat the Lakers, and then win, of course, six championships in eight years. There really wasn't a rivalry with the Celtics, you know, because they weren't they weren't great at the same time in terms of, of – um, how good their teams were. I mean, the Celtics in 84 won the championship Um, in 86 when they beat the Bulls three straight in the first round. I mean, the Celtics won, I believe 66 games that year and the Bulls won 30. I mean, that was an incredible mismatch and Jordan kept the series somewhat competitive. And back then it was a best of five, not a best of seven. So, but Bert realized right away that uh, number 23 is pretty special. I mean, he, he said that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. He said that after game one in that series. That was a 49-point performance. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Then three days later, he puts up 63 in an overtime loss. So um, they respected the hell out of each other. But by the time Jordan had come into the league, Larry Bird was already, I think, the best player in the league. You know, he he'd, uh, won a championship in 81, won a championship in 84. So Bird was a two-time champ by the time Jordan even entered the league. Um, so Jordan's rivals were more the Pistons because that was the team he really had a breakthrough at some point to get to the finals. Um, and really, is there really a rival for, for Michael? I mean, because after Bird, Magic, I think, became the best player in the league. They met in the 91 finals, and, and Michael won in five games. But that was Magic just past his peak. And then, of course, that fall, um, he announced his retirement, you know, um, due to HIV AIDS. And so they, they had somewhat of a rivalry, but never to the extent of bird magic. Bird magic was the rivalry because they came in the league together. They went to the two most iconic franchises. They met in the finals three times, you know, 
when you really think of it, Michael Jordan didn't have a natural rivalry, you know, during the nineties, you know, he, he kind of took turns beating teams in the finals. Right. I mean, you know, whether it was um, magic the first time, but again, magic passed his prime, then the blazers then the Suns with Charles Barkley and then, you know, Seattle with Kemp and Peyton. And of course, back-to-back years beating Carl Malone and John Stockton. So he didn't really have a natural rival, um, which is kind of interesting. And and that's kind of one of the reasons I think that LeBron's better than Michael is because I I look back at who these two players played in the finals in their careers. And, you know, Michael played five different teams to win his six championships. I don't think any of those teams are as good as the Spurs teams that LeBron faced three times in the finals. And I don't think they're as good as the Golden State teams that LeBron faced four times in the finals. So I know Michael's 6-0 and in the finals, LeBron's 3-6, and six, but I think LeBron faced better competition in the finals. But there, there really wasn't a natural rival for Michael Jordan. Like, he was the best player in the league, without question, from about, I don't know, 1990 till he retired in 98. There was, there was no argument of who was better than Michael because there wasn't anyone. Um, you know, so... Whereas at least LeBron has some rivals now, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant, even though Kobe and LeBron never met in the finals, which is a shame that would have been spectacular. But, you know, Michael was clearly the best player in basketball for, I would say, close to a decade. I mean, because it it was bird to magic and then Michael took over, especially after he won that first championship. There was no debating who the best player in basketball was. was Michael Jordan. He was winning scoring titles, guys. And he was arguably the best defensive player in the league. There's not much more you could do on a basketball court than that. I'm really jealous you were around in that era and getting to be in the locker room of all those guys. Yeah, but I'm 57 years old. <laughs> you know, I'd rather be your age, and I'd rather be your age, and I'd rather have that accent. Ah, uh, the and accent, that accent is sexy as hell. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I don't know what would work better with the ladies: having a nice dog at your side as you're walking down the street, or having that accent. If you have both, if you have a dog and you walk your dog down the street, you are gonna. Do whatever you want with the ladies. You're going to end up with Scarlett Johansson. That's my promise. <laughs> with the dog and the accent, right? Oh, it's spectacular. <laughs> yeah, um, it does me well when I'm stateside. I won't lie. Um, oh, man. I want to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Next time he's in the States, we'll figure it out. Yeah, definitely. I, should I know, be in right? Boston soon. Good. Let us know because the other two of us are in Massachusetts already walking around with masks and gloves and being told to stay in our homes and possibly getting arrested if we go outside after nine o'clock at night. So we're living in some interesting times. Yeah, they are. It's the same here to be fair. Um, everybody's locked down. Nobody's going outside. Everybody's right. wearing masks and gloves. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. It so really is. It is. It's not the best um, time. It feels like Groundhog Day every day, right? Oh, it's, it's incredible. I wake up in the morning, you know, go get my coffee, come back, check in with CNN, you know, then I'll watch Get Up on ESPN because I think it's actually a pretty good show and I'll tune into some of the debate shows because I think Skip and Shannon do a good job together on Fox Sports 1, um, you know, do, doing their debates. And then I'm a huge Colin Coward fan. Then I'll I continually go back into watching CNN to see what's going on. Uh, I don't want to lose touch with the news. 
and then usually watch CNN at night. And then I'll throw on, you know, again, being 57 years old, I like watching me TV and cozy, which are two channels that play like old shows, you know? So, um, you know, I kind of get nostalgic when I see like a show from 1972, because then I'm nine years old at that time again. And who doesn't want to be nine again? So is that like Dukes the Hazard and stuff like that? Yeah, I watch, uh, I'm a big Columbo fan. That's on Saturday and Sunday night on, uh, I believe it's cozy. So, you know, I mean, this is what happens when you turn 57. You, you want to look backwards at times and say, well, let me go back to the 70s and 80s. And, you know, when I was a lot younger and healthier and never had an accent, but, you know, if I had one, I would have done better. Um, <laughs> but I think that I look at that and say, you know, it's fun to talk about the old days. That's why I love coming on with you guys because you appreciate the old days. I, I talk to a lot of younger folks on radio and, you know, they'll say, oh, my God, this guy's talking about the 80s again. Well, I, I think it's interesting to look back. Um, and and I, I feel fortunate that I can look back to that, but I can also look forward um, because I, I do think that the players today are better than they were at any other time in the history of the NBA. I don't know if the game is better, but I think the players are better. Um, and I think that's the same in the NFL. It's just the athletes are just better. There's that, it's evolution. You know, the bigger, stronger, faster guys out there. There's – you know, Michael Jordan, when he came along, was like clearly the best athlete in the league. If he was playing today at his peak, you know, there are other guys that are on his level athletically, right? Whether it be LeBron, Kawhi, Russell Westbrook, you know, pick whoever. Um, you know, so I, I do think that the game, the players are better. The game, I think, is also better. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm that outlier, that old guy that kind of likes what's going on today. I think it's also a matter of medical advancements too. I think a lot of it is sure. advancements in training. And, and as you said, just people are finding ways to get in better shape in order to play at their highest level. I, I think back a lot of injuries, especially, you know, Larry Bird, if we had the mm -hmm. medical technology we had today, how long would he have played? You know, there are certain people Absolutely. that just took absolute physical beatings their entire career. And it's just a, a wonderful what if, if all that technology and all those medical advancements were available at that time. You know, it was such a more physical brand of basketball. And as you said, you know, the game has changed so much to a point where you have this constant comparison of well, players are not as physical as they were in the past. Look at what Jordan had to go through. And I think comparison is a thief of joy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, Tim. I, I think w when you look at that, too, because my first professional sports or my first sports idol was Bobby Orr, who's one of the greatest players in the history of hockey. And he had numerous knee surgeries and he had to retire at 28 years old. Incredible. I mean, if he had played today with advancements in, in medicine and surgery procedures, surgical procedures, he would have played longer and Lord knows what numbers he would have put up. Yeah. You mentioned Larry Bird. I mean, the last three or four years of his career he was dealing with a back that was just beyond painful and, and dealing with, um, you know, Achilles and, and foot issues. Uh, Kevin McHale played in the 1987 playoffs with a broken foot. And, and he was never quite the same after that to the point where, you know, if you see Kevin McHale at a Celtics game, you see the, the visible limp. I mean, these guys went through a lot because, the technology just wasn't there. And, and also the way they prepared for games. I mean, um, athletes like Michael Jordan, um, you know, he took care of himself, but he also partied hard. He wasn't afraid to go to the casino, spend the whole night at the casino, drink, eat, eat steaks, et cetera. Uh, but then he would work out. He was just a, you know, a freak. I mean, let's admit that. But um, as far as today, you see athletes like Tom Brady or LeBron James spend seven figures on their body. 
you know, I mean, they have live-in chefs with them. They have trainers. They, they're so dedicated to their craft. They realize that that's the investment is in their body because they can make so much money playing longer and longer. So yeah, the advancements um, in all of that uh, have made athletes better. And this starts at a young age, right? I mean, um, you see even some of these young quarterbacks that come into the NFL that's the only position they've ever played. They, they, you know, maybe didn't play baseball or basketball. They played no other positions in football. They've, they've become almost like um, quarterback savants from a young age when they show promise. So, you know, everything's much more specialized than it was many, many years ago. And I you feel, ever see, well, go ahead, Tim. Now go ahead, Tim. My last question. Um, so, I've heard rumors of this, and I think I've seen footage of it. Did you ever see, like, players after games? I think Larry Bird used to do this, where they would just, after a game, like, have a cigarette and crush a beer. Beer, definitely. Oh, yeah, beer, definitely. And then, you know what, I you know, wanted, I, I couldn't join them, but, you know, I, after leaving the games, we'd go off for beers. That's what you did back then. Um, yeah, no, guys, after games. And, I look, I think after a game, you, you lose, you know, water weight um, and, you know, What's better after a workout than chugging down a lot of beers? I haven't drank since 1992, but I certainly in my 20s drank enough for a lifetime. So, yeah, no, those guys would drink after games without question. I mean, I think I saw uh, an NBA player. I'm not going to mention his name, but I remember seeing him smoke a cigarette after a game, which I looked at and said, that's bizarre. I mean, you, you could kind of get away with it, I guess, in baseball at that point. You know, I mean, how far are you running? But in basketball, where cardio is so important and smoke a cigarette after a game, that was that was interesting. But there were times I think the coaches were smoking cigarettes on the sideline. The fans could smoke in the arena. I mean, it's just a different time. You guys, I'm sure, can remember going in restaurants, smoking, non-smoking. Even before that, there was no such thing as smoking, non-smoking sections. Now, I, if you go in a restaurant and someone outside is smoking, it turns me off because that's like something I'm like, I, I skeeve, which is kind of a, an Italian term, which means, you know, like you just like this whole social distancing and washing my hands. I've been on board with that for years. I'm, I'm not having to adjust all that much. But, you know, like if I'm around someone smoking cigarettes, I just need to go home and, you know, change my clothes and shower because it gets stuck in your hair and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, back then, guys definitely drank after games. Absolutely. And you heard on the documentary when Jordan was a rookie, you know, he's knocking on the door of a, a teammate. He goes in there and, you know, a frat party going on in there. And he was like, I got to change the culture of this franchise to, you know, get us serious. And, and Jordan, I think the only thing he, I think has a, a cocktail or two now, I think, in fact, he seemed to be drinking one during the documentary when he was, you know, letting loose with the F bombs, which I found great. I really did. I mean, I know a lot of people got turned off by that, but you know, that's, that's real. You know, that's people talk like that. People can get over that. And uh, I thought that that was a pretty cool part of it that uh, he seemed to be, unfiltered which makes for good tv and then the fans the listeners not the fans sorry the listeners are going to castrate me unless i ask this next question which is what was your favorite memory like can you walk us through your favorite personal interaction with larry bird or any of the main celtics guys from back when you were covering yeah bird one time this was they always had they still do media day uh at the start of training camp and um it was at Hellenic College in uh, Brookline. It was this kind of old gym. I mean, it was it was it was a good gym. It was perfect for the guys to practice in. They had some of the facility there, but it's it's not the high tech stuff they have now. Um, you know, they they would practice there because the Bruins own the Garden. So if there were any conflicts, the Celtics would have to practice at Hellenic College. 
and it was media day. So, uh, you know, I got to do a one-on-one with Bird, and uh, he was great. He was he was always good because I, I used to love just asking questions about basketball and, you know, things like that where I, I wasn't really concerned too much with, you know, what his favorite movie was or anything like that. And, uh, you know, it was a good, like, four- or five-minute interview, and, and I remember that somehow the company I worked for at the time got a picture of it. Now, I'm five foot nine, so, like, Bird's 6'9", maybe 6'10". So, like – my head is like, you know, my neck is strained looking up to this guy that's a foot taller than me. And the publicity photo got out and we had a, a big laugh about it. And it was like, next time I'm going to stand on a chair, you know, so I can be eye to eye with, the, at that point, the best player in basketball. But those guys were, those, those guys were really good to deal with. Uh, the public relations staff, Jeff Twist, who's still with the Celtics, um, was fantastic. He really was to deal with, um, you know, as far as getting players available, coaches available. But that was kind of a fun episode, um, you know, media day. I think it was media day maybe 1982 or 1983 at Atlanta College, and it was, you know, it was kind of laughable to see the 5'9 guy interviewing the 6'10 guy. And it would, the way the angle was, too, I looked like two feet shorter. What about with – Jordan or anyone who wasn't Celtics related, do you have any good memories of interviewing those guys? Yeah, Doug Collins was the coach of the Bulls. Um, and if this documentary gets into later in the 80s, you'll see some of Doug Collins. And actually, Doug Collins was the head coach in the late 80s, and, and Jackson was the assistant coach. And uh, Doug Collins was most, maybe the most intense guy I've ever encountered. Um, you'd see him after a game and, you know, you'd just see sweat all over him. I mean, the rings would be under his armpits and it looked like he had played. Um, and it was kind of a weird match with Jordan because sometimes two guys that are alike don't mix, you know, like Jordan was the most intense player. Doug Collins was certainly the most intense coach I've ever encountered. I mean, he, he, after games, he really should have taken a half hour to calm down because sometimes he was, you know, prickly to deal with. And, uh, this was after a tough, loss at, at the garden and we were all around Doug Collins. And, and like I said, I always ask questions. I just, I was not one of those guys that would take my microphone, stick it in a crowd and, you know, do whatever I'd ask questions. Sometimes, you know, they would be really good questions and sometimes they wouldn't. So I remember I asked a question. I don't remember what the question was. And Doug Collins just kind of looked at me and said, well, you're a bleeping genius. And I just, you know, kind of laughed about it and continued on asking questions. And at the end of the session, he kind of said, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to be that way. I go, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, so he was an intense guy, but he was pretty cool about it later. So that was that was kind of a, a fun uh, a fun thing. And how did you handle guys like that? You know, like when you ask a question to a player, if he wasn't very receptive, uh, did that ever put you off? Con- you kind of have to – yeah, yeah. sometimes, again, you know, you end up with egg in your face, and sometimes you end up, you know um, – my background now is more talk radio, so you're able to deal with that a lot better than strict reporters, um, you know, straight reporters. And you see that with um, President Trump at his daily briefings and the reporters will ask a question and he pushes back. And I don't know if they know how to push back. You know, when you do talk radio, the give and take, and, you know, it's not scripted. So first of all, I always would go into these things saying, look, they're just human beings. Yeah, Larry Bird's the best player in basketball. And then Magic was the best player in basketball and, and Michael Jordan and so forth. I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity actually to interview President Trump on a couple of occasions when he was candidate Trump. Um, and he was great. He was very engaging. And uh, I just looked at it. It's, you know, my job to ask questions. They're human beings. Um, I've got to ask sometimes tough questions. You don't have to be confrontational, though. 
you know, it's a, a sit down is different. You know, if, if a, like Tom Brady was on with Howard Stern a couple of weeks ago, and that's a two hour give and take, that's completely different than the locker room setting, but you got to ask the tough questions, but you don't have to be confrontational. And you also have to listen to the answers because that gives you follow-ups. And yeah, sometimes players would get antsy. The problem I had was oftentimes when ESPN would send a crew up from Bristol, I was the lucky guy that would go into the loser's locker room, you know, cause the, the anchors in Bristol, you know, whether it was Tom Meese at that point, God rest his soul, or uh, any of the other anchors, they would go in the winner's locker room because that's a lot more fun. And I'd go with my crew to the loser's locker room, uh, which one story I, I, I didn't um, echo was back in the 84 finals when um, the Lakers lost to the Celtics in seven games. I, I still think it's the greatest NBA finals in history. Either that or the 2016 um, Cavaliers beating the Golden State Warriors after trailing three games to one. 84, that was okay. Bird and Magic, they bent the college basketball championship five years prior. Everybody's waiting for Magic and Bird to meet in the finals, and it finally happened in 1984. Celtics won in seven games, and we were there like several hours after the game, and I took my crew. I said, let's go back in the locker room with the Lakers and see if Magic is still there. And he was sitting alone, and I just approached him. I said, you got a few minutes? He goes, sure. And he was just absolutely, you know, heartbroken of what had happened. Um, you know, he won two championships already in the NBA, but this was his chance to beat Bird again. And, and Magic didn't really have a good series in 84. And, uh, but he was, he was pretty forthright, and it was, it was kind of a one-on-one interview because this was several hours after the game had ended. He was still just heartbroken. He was, he was literally, you know, in tears, and, and, uh, but he was cool enough to, to accommodate us. Um, so you get put in some weird situations, but then I always look back and think, it's sports. You know, I'm not covering the coronavirus pandemic. I'm not overseas covering a war with life and death. I mean, okay, so you lose a basketball game, it's heartbreaking, but, you know, you, you get to wake up the next day and still have a pretty cool life. And it sounds like you lived a pretty cool life um, being around all those stars. I am kind of jealous. And you're still doing your thing now, right? I mean, you're doing the Sap and Cat show over on Full Press Coverage. Yes, we do a podcast once a week. Um, and also I write a lot of columns for full press coverage. Um, you know, everyone thinks I'm a troll because it seems like half the columns have to get LeBron James being better than Michael Jordan in them. But um, yeah, I'm still doing a lot of stuff. I'm not going in locker rooms anymore. I was when I was at the Boston Herald. You know, we did some NHL coverage, um, you know, with the video component of the Boston Herald, but I'm no longer with them. And, and by the way, hockey players are the best guys to deal with. It's not even close. They're the most down-to-earth, easygoing guys to deal with. I think they get all their frustration out on the ice. So at the end of the game, they don't have energy to, you know, go back and forth with reporters. But uh, going in a crowded locker room, you know, it's pretty cool to see these guys, but it's not as glamorous as you think. You know, it's hot in there. And, you know, I've always thought it would be better if you had, you know, interview rooms, which a lot of the franchises do now. Um, You know, like you see when the Patriots – play Belichick comes out says nothing obviously uh but Brady would come out and, and do it at a podium I, it just it, it's a little bit more comfortable than having 62 people around the guy's locker you know trying to get a microphone in their face I mean that, that's not really uh good for anybody but uh it's it's fun now when you do talk radio you, you don't have to you know you sit back and you take more of a macro approach where you can say things uh when you're in there in the locker room you, you're doing one set of um one skill set of being a reporter but uh, doing talk radio is, is much more fun but i think it's always good for 
for people who want to do it as a profession to start it as a reporter. You know, you look at a lot of the great talk show hosts uh, in the country and even locally in Boston, a lot of them, you know, covered teams. Michael Felger covered the Bruins and the Patriots for the Herald. Tony Maserati covered the Red Sox for the Herald. So they, they understand the whole idea of reporting and, and getting facts. And now they're able to uh, be talk show hosts where you don't need to have, you know, two sources you're just throwing ideas up against the wall, but it's a good starting point because it, it really teaches you the, the nuts and bolts of the profession so that, you know, later when you get into talk radio, you can have all these really hot takes and, um, you know, have a blast with it every day. There's nothing better than doing talk radio. I have never felt like right now doing this with you guys. I don't, this is not, this is something I look forward to and, and it's fun. And I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Um, you know, when you get to do your thing and, and, and have fun with it, it's not work really. Agreed, man. Thank you again for coming on. This has been such an awesome. Yeah, Thank I've you. really enjoyed I wish it. I, I wish I didn't bloviate so much. I have a tendency of running on into different uh, areas sometimes. But, you know, we do the best to try to stay focused at times. But, uh, no, I love joining you guys, um, and, and it's great. And, again, Adam, when you're in Boston, you know, seek us out, and the three of us can go have uh, something good to eat. We'll, we'll find some good restaurants in Boston, provided they're open, and, and allow three people to sit close enough to have a conversation. But I, I, you know, I hope we get through this, obviously. Yeah, they won't let me fly until um, people can be close to each other anyway. So I'll definitely do that, though. You guys can show me the hot spots where to go and get some good food. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, John. And uh, hopefully this won't be the last time we get you on. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Nope. Some great information. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Tim. Stay safe. You too, buddy. Thank you, you too. Speak soon. Right, guys, you've been listening to the Celtics Pod podcast. We were fortunate enough to basically give you our own Michael Jordan and Larry Bird documentary. Make sure you hit that like and subscribe button, leave us a nice review, and we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. That was awesome. Tim, did you have a good time? Absolutely. That was excellent. John had a lot of insight, and especially as someone who's covered multiple eras of basketball, uh, that was really, really special. All right, guys, you'll catch us again on... Friday and it'll be another NBA trivia chase Dan if you can catch it live then great if not then it'll be released as a podcast and that episode will be Keith Smith versus John Corrales who's going to win we've already got Max Lederman lined up to face the winner of those two so we're going to keep this going we're going to for as long as Tim and I can keep coming up with questions it's definitely a fun watch it's definitely a good listen make sure you enjoy it and stay safe wash those hands say bye Tim bye bye